Turn Struggle into Hope, Raising Kids with ADHD and Autism. We dive into this topic next on the podcast. I'm Natalie Tisdall, a journalist who decided enough is enough. I left a career that looked glamorous to do what I was scared of doing, going out on my own. I'm a married working mom of three. On this podcast, we're going to talk about issues that really matter. Why am I not sleeping? What's up with that diet everyone's talking about? Are my kids falling behind? How do I leave that job and start over? Welcome to the Natalie Tisdall Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. It's Natalie. Last week, I talked with parenting expert Penny Williams to discuss the challenges of parenting when things just don't go as planned. And it seems like that happens often. Our conversation was so good. I had to split it into two parts. Penny helps families who have children with ADHD and autism. And today we're talking about the importance of setting boundaries around technology and holding children accountable for their actions while also allowing for some unstructured fun time. We also talk about compromises and nurturing kids' interests outside of technology. Penny emphasizes the need to remain patient and persistent in encouraging kids to try new things and explore their passions, even if that takes time. I encourage you to go back, listen to the first part. I'll be sure and put that in the show notes before we get started today. So a little bit about Penny. She's an award-winning author, journalist, and parent of a son with ADHD and autism. She also is the founder of the Parenting ADHD and Autism Academy. As we get started, I want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button so you won't miss a single episode of the podcast. And please share this with someone who can use a dose of inspiration and information. Sit back, relax, and join us for an informative conversation today. Penny, thanks so much for joining me. We have so much to talk about. And the last time I spoke with you, we talked about changing your mindset when it comes to issues that kind of hit you in that are mm-hmm. difficult and being positive. But I wanted to go deeper with you into the topic that you have become an expert in firsthand with a son who is on the spectrum, ADHD. And I know you coach people now in these specific topics. And I want to ask you, because as a parenting reporter, as a health reporter for so many years, I feel like, and I think our society feels like we have so many more cases of this Mm -hmm. than we did in the last few decades. Is that true or are we just more aware of these issues in our kids today? I think it's both. I think we're much more aware. We have a lot more adults getting diagnosed, a lot more women and girls who tend to fall through the cracks with ADHD and autism. And I think also there is an increase in the prevalence of it. And so we have both factors that are kind of feeding into it. And I think it makes it look like it's growing more, you know, that prevalence is totally increasing. And I think it's really a mix of the two. So I think, you know, if it's jumping by 20%, it's probably like jumping by 10% and 10 other percent are people who are just being diagnosed that wouldn't have been even a few years ago, really, it's constantly changing. And that really speaks to how we're actually talking about it now. We're actually not ignoring and putting aside ADHD and autism anymore. We're really looking at the concept of neurodiversity and accepting it and addressing it. Mm -hmm. And 
trying to figure out how to weave it into our culture because it's here, you know, and I think that sometimes we get too focused on those statistics. Like, oh my gosh, there's so many more kids. Like I think I just saw yesterday one in six now for ADHD. That's crazy. Mm. Crazy. That means in every classroom of 30 kids, there's five kids just with ADHD, right? And that's a lot. It's a lot for our teachers to deal with. It's a lot for our classroom environments, right? And it's a lot more need when our kids are at school. And then, of course, there's home and everywhere else in life, right? But it is here. It's not going anywhere, clearly. It is increasing in prevalence and diagnosis. And so what do we do with that? You know, we can sort of try to look at why that's happening. And that is important. That is very important. But when you're the parent of a child who is struggling, your kid already has these diagnoses, right? Focusing on how it happened isn't very helpful for you where you are focusing more on the challenges that your child is facing and how to help them to live their best life with them is really where that focus I think for parents and even educators needs to be right like these are the specific challenges and sometimes you know we have these these terrible arguments about labeling kids and should we diagnose them should we not Mm -hmm. and the truth is that the labels open doors they get our kids accommodations in school they provide coverage for insurance for things like therapy and they are necessary just to even know what you're dealing with but they aren't necessarily necessary to focus on once you have them. Meaning my child struggles with emotional regulation. When he was young, hyperactivity, impulsivity, I could focus on those specific things. And how do I help him with these challenges versus he has ADHD, you know, ADHD, right? (laughs) And and getting Mm -hmm. really stuck in that. And so I think that we have to sort of say, okay, labels are here for a reason. And we're not trying to necessarily segment and call our kids out. We're trying to figure out the path that's going to be most helpful with them. And then just saying, you know, okay, what am I specifically dealing with and what is going to be helpful in in those times? Who are some, give me some examples, because I know there are people listening who will relate to the clients you have. So who are some of the many clients that you have that you can coach and you can help? Are these parents who are saying, my son was just diagnosed with ADHD and I don't know if I should take the medication or not, or are there natural things we can do, or I'm just giving you examples. Mm -hmm. Give us a few specifics so that people who can relate can learn from them. Yeah. And it's really all the things like it's parents who have just gotten a diagnosis, they don't know what to do. Life is really overwhelming and chaotic. Mm -hmm. Nobody feels good, right? And so they're looking for that way forward early on, they want guidance with that. Sometimes it is parents who have been trying a lot of things, and they're just not getting results. They're Mm -hmm. still struggling with big emotions, they're still struggling with dysregulation, they're still struggling with an intense child, maybe they're still struggling with a kid who's not doing well at school. And they just want some change, (laughs) they want some improvement. 
and they're trying really hard, which is where I was the first couple of years because I didn't know what to do. I didn't Mm -hmm. have that guidance. And so I was just trying things and they weren't working. I was trying things and they weren't working. And it was so hard, right? It's so hard to be in that place where you're giving everything to help your kids. Sometimes it's it's just not not knowing what what questions to ask. Like you're so overwhelmed. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what to ask the doctor or I don't know what Mm -hmm. to advise the teachers because you're just so overwhelmed. Can you talk a little bit about developments more recent that people might not know because they're overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. developments in ADHD, ADD, autism. Give us some of the the recent things that are helping or advice that you might give, because it feels as if we're seeing progress, at least in the medical world, in the holistic world, in the teaching space. Give us some updates and things that might help people. Yeah, what I am most excited about in this community is the shift to the neurobehavioral model, really looking at the autonomic nervous system and the brain and what is going on in our kids' bodies and minds that is creating and controlling their behavior. Because this is where we get to that really, really deep understanding of what's going on with our kids. And then that creates the clarity for how to help. And so we're talking about recognizing when kids are dysregulated. We often talk about fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Those are different states of their nervous system. That is their body reacting to something in their environment, sensory, a lagging skill, an unmet need, not feeling seen, heard, or understood. These are all things that can be sort of triggering that nervous system. And often in our kids who are neurodivergent adults as well, they have a much more sensitive system. They're more Mm. easily triggered into those dysregulated Mm -hmm. states. Mm -hmm. And so now we're focusing a lot on, okay, I see that my kid is activated. Their, you know, nervous system is activated. They're dysregulated. They're not really in control of this now. That is a signal. Now their body is acting on instinct. They have not planned and gone forward with intention. So say my child yells at me, I hate you. You never loved me, you know, which my kid did in the grocery store many times when he was little and it was painful, right? Because he couldn't have three boxes of sugary cereal, right? Because he just didn't have the coping skills. And I wish I had known then that like, and I knew it wasn't him. It was very out of character, right? I knew that wasn't really him, but I didn't recognize yet that like that was actually his nervous system. Mm -hmm. trying to take control of a situation he didn't have control over. It wasn't him going, well, I I wonder if I can really hurt my mom's feelings and embarrass her in the grocery store right now. I think I'm going to try that. That's not happening, right? (laughs) And that clarity of intention and the biology behind those challenges that we're dealing with is huge, I think. And it was definitely a turning point for me, understanding that my kid didn't have control over some of that stuff, or that it was happening because he was developmentally delayed. A big shift for me was knowing that kids with 
ADHD or autism, you know, developmental disabilities in general, they're two to three years behind their peers in Mm. different aspects. My son, who is 20, as far as like planning an organization, he's probably at, you know, age three, maybe like he's years and years behind because his brain just isn't wired for organization. And so it's very asynchronous, which really confuses people, right? Like my kid does really well this one thing. He's totally advanced here, but oh my gosh, like, why are we so far behind here? And then we start trying to figure that out and we label it. We make assumptions. Oh, he's lazy. He's disrespectful. The world makes assumptions. And that's, that can be really harmful Mm -hmm. and difficult for you as a mom yeah, and for the young person or even the adult who feels shamed because they're not mm-hmm. organized. Yeah. We're talking about sometimes, you know, my kid can't get ready in the morning and we're yelling at each other and, you know, my kid won't go to bed when I ask them to, or we're really struggling in school. Sometimes it's, I'm having such a hard time just coping with this. I just mm-hmm. really need help. You know, I had a conversation with a mom yesterday. I just really need your experience on how to cope with this specific challenge that we're having. And that can be such a relief just to talk to somebody who has gone through what you're going through and validates that it's really, really hard, but that also you can get through it. That's so valuable on its own. I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the ways I keep my family healthy. I've been a customer of Seeking Health for several years, and I'm constantly amazed by the positive impact their products have had on overall health and well-being. From the very beginning, the team at Seeking Health has been dedicated to helping me build a strong foundation for my health through their focus on optimizing digestion, reducing environmental exposures, and nourishing my body with pure, high-quality supplements. They've provided me with the tools and the knowledge I need to support my body's natural healing systems, and I have seen significant improvements in my energy, immune function, and overall sense of well-being. A few of my favorites, active magnesium, the glutathione plus, immune intensive, also the electrolytes we put in our water and our family, all great products. And those are just a few. I'm grateful to the team at Seeking Health for their passion for prevention and their consistent commitment to helping with my family's health. If you're looking to take control of your health and build a strong foundation for your well-being, I highly recommend Seeking Health. You can get more information and a discount code by going to natalietisdall.com slash favorites. Look for the Seeking Health logo and that discount code. Again, natalietisdall.com slash favorites. The link is in the show notes. When you're helping people, are you more so helping parents of children recently diagnosed? Or do you have adults come to you and say, I think I have ADD, was never diagnosed, or I think I may be on the spectrum and I don't know how to deal with this myself. Are you doing both? I'm not actually. I don't work with adults. I just don't have that experience. You know, my my whole 
business has come from my own personal experience and what I have learned through that process of parenting that kid. And so that's really what I focus on is parents, but also educators. Mm -hmm. And we're doing more and more with educators and professionals like therapists and, and such, and really helping them again, understand that nervous system and what's really going on for that kid inside. But I do also work with parents who've had diagnoses for a long time and are Mm. just finding themselves stuck with a certain issue or, you know, finally realizing that they've been on this path for four or five years and nothing's really changing or, you know, they're doing okay, but they know they could use a little help, like getting to the next level or, you know, coping better themselves. Right. And so there's a vast, a vast audience there under that parenting and educator umbrella. Like I went and did a presentation for a local boys and girls club. They asked me to come and teach their after school staff about neurodivergence and how to really be helpful to the kids who are coming into their program every afternoon and are struggling or, you know, they're struggling. The adults are struggling with their behavior and, Mm -hmm. you know, really helping them. And so, I think, you know, the path that I'm on right now is really helping people understand behavior. And this is not just for neurodivergent kids. This is all kids. (laughs) You know, it's all kids. It's all adults. We have a really high population in our prison system of neurodivergent individuals or people with mental health issues, right? And we're, we're criminalizing behavior as a culture, And that's a real problem. It's a real problem. And it feeds a lot of that fear for parents as they're raising kids with, especially ADHD tends to be very common pipeline to prison. And we fear that, right? As a parent, of course, I'm really worried about that. And now I'm stuck in that fear, right? And so there's a lot of, I think, cultural shifts that we really need to make. We need to shift from this crime and punishment mentality to, you know, why is this behavior happening? Why are people going down this path? Because if we help people with the why, they don't necessarily end up on yeah. that path to begin with. And they certainly don't end up on that path lifelong a lot of times. But yeah. we've we've really just we just want to put people away. <laughs> Whether that and that's yeah. true like in school too, right? This kid's acting out of my class. I don't want to do. I'm gonna put them in the hall. I'm gonna send them down to so and so's room. I'm gonna, you know, and what message are kids getting? It's the same thing like you and I grew up probably being sent to our room when we did something our parents were not happy about, right? But what message does that send to a lot of people? I don't want you here. I don't, I don't love you when you're like this. You're Mm. a problem for me, right? That's how kids are feeling when we sort of take that crime and punishment approach of just sending them away in one way or another. And you know, I just want to open people's minds to really recognizing what is going on for someone understanding that, because that's where we can really affect change. That's where we have influence. I'm hearing you talk a a lot about behavior and identifying and then working with the behavior and the parenting. How are we doing on the medical side? Are there medical Mm -hmm. advancements that are helping families you know, it's really tricky with neurodevelopmental disorders because 
they are very, treatments are very individualized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for instance, with ADHD and medication, we have a lot of stimulant medications. We're coming out with more and more all the time. And they can be wildly helpful. And they can also be very tricky. Because what medication works for one individual Mm -hmm. may not work for another. And there's actually two types of stimulants. One type or the other works for almost everyone, but not both types. So you're going to have a good reaction to one potentially, but a horrible reaction to the other. Most physicians don't even know that. They have no idea that that's a thing. And so we're coming at the medication aspect, not fully educated on it. And it's a real problem in in our community. But also, you know, it's such trial and error. And that is so, so hard. And that is very anxiety provoking, right? That brings up a lot of fear in parents, you know, and just medicating our kids because of the real misinformation that's out there about ADHD and ADHD medication. People really fear it. And for a mm-hmm. lot of kids, it's life changing. For a lot of adults, it's life changing. Yeah. It yeah. is something that they need to be successful. And that's totally okay. Like we don't, we don't shame people who need insulin <laughs> to live their best life, right? Why do we shame people who need a medication to help their brain and their neurological system? with focus and impulsivity, right, to be able to live their best life. It's really tough. And, you know, we have some new advancements with like technology with ADHD. So there are programs like Mightier and Endeavor, which are based on video gaming, which our kids tend to love, especially kids Mm -hmm. who need that stimulation because video games, anything visual like that is very stimulating. So they're really drawn into it. But it's taking that gaming that they love to engage them. And then the games are, are created in a way that to be successful in the game, you have to slow down, you have to be more mindful, you have to problem solve, you have to um, regulate. And so it's teaching them to regulate in order to do better in the game. So they really don't know. We think of that being so bad and Mm -hmm. talk about a label and addictive and dopamine hits. That's what we think of. Mm -hmm. But this game isn't addictive. These are, are proving to be successful and not addictive. They're proving to be successful. I, I think we talk about technology addiction too much. We use that word addiction too easily. Technology is very pervasive in our lives. <laughs> it's here. It's not you going anywhere. Right now, right? <laughs> we have all the technology going right now to have a conversation with each other face to face from different parts of the country. Yeah. And so it's not going anywhere. Kids have to learn how to use it in a healthy way. And so we get really stuck as parents on limits and really limiting it. And then our kids feel like, you know, they have all these friends who are, this is what they're doing. And now they're outcasts more socially. And there's so many layers there to unpack that would take a long time. But, you know, the bottom line is that yes, technology addiction exists. But in my opinion, we label it as addiction too often. But they're also really made to be 
addictive. <laughs> you know, there are psychologists working with marketing companies, working with people who create these games and all the technology to make you stay longer, to make you yeah. spend more money inside the games and the apps, to make you have to yeah. really feel like you've got to be there and come back, right? And make that next level and, and all this gamification. It, there's a lot of psychology behind it. You know, it really is... I don't want to use the word mind control, but it kind of comes to mind. Are those, um, since we're talking about this, are games in general more difficult and more addictive to those who might be ADHD or compromised in some way? Or, or is technology making it harder or better for them? I think both. You know, for example, my kid used an iPad in school for many years because he couldn't keep track of his paper. He couldn't organize anything, mm -hmm. right? He had trouble with handwriting because he has dysgraphia. And so he could take a photograph of a worksheet and complete it on his iPad and email it to the teacher. So he never had to worry about keeping up with paper, writing on the paper, you it's know, a great which, use of technology. And, yeah. Right. It was mm -hmm. very, very useful for him. It made things doable for him. Mm. But he also spends a lot of time gaming. <laughs> and part of that is because that's where he feels really successful. He goes to school. He feels terrible about himself. He comes home. He gets in the game. And he feels successful socially. He can communicate with people easier that way than face-to-face. -face. He feels successful because he's good with technology. Then he mm -hmm. starts going to school and the other kids are asking him, like they're coming up and wanting to spend time with him, talking mm -hmm. about the games and how Just he proud did of that. things. Mm -hmm. He's proud. Mm -hmm. He gets authority. There's a lot of confidence building there, right? And so we were very careful to not be so inflexible about the amount of time he used technology that we were taking away all those good bits, right? And, and they're practicing strategy and problem solving and a lot of things in a lot of these games. And yes, we limited things that were violent for violence sake. You know, he was doing things like Minecraft and, and things that had more, more meat to them, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, they just mm -hmm. offered more than just sort of a reality escape. And that, felt really important for him. And we do find, you know, now as a young adult and, and as a teen too, that it was easier for him to just go online than to try something else, right? Mm -hmm. Like to go and knock on a neighbor's door and hope that the kid wants to play with him or then to like go outside and, and play by himself or, you know, try something new because a lot of times people on the spectrum have a really hard time trying something new because there's so much unknown there and that yeah. creates a lot of anxiety. And so, yes, that can be a crutch and it can sort of monopolize your life. We have to yeah. find balance. We have to teach our kids that there are other things that have to be part of your life too. You have to get out of the house. You have to move and exercise. You have to, you know, have some face-to-face -face time with other human beings in person. These are things that also have to be part of your life. But just to say my kid can't be on technology for more than an hour a day, like, we're not doing that. We are on technology yeah. more than an hour a day, yeah. right? Like it's part of life now. So it's finding that balance and teaching them how to be healthy with it. So your suggestion with that, because I can imagine it is a crutch and it's much easier as a parent to say, just go do that because oh, then right. things are quiet mm -hmm. in the house. And mm -hmm. so to create 
a boundary that you really have to work hard to stick to for kiddos who are struggling and they find technology and gaming is a way out. So to set those boundaries and then really hold them accountable to them. Yeah. And, and just to set up a system of like, when you accomplish this thing, you get to do this thing. Mm -hmm. So when you have played outside for 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. then you get to have some technology time. I'm a believer in always giving kids a certain amount of technology time every day that they don't have to earn. We need to have fun in our lives. We need to have things that we enjoy, right? And so that's fine. If your kid's into technology, they get some technology time, but they also have to do these other things, right? And so- if I go and I ride my bike, wow, I, I got a lot of exercise. And now I can sit down and be more sedentary and play a game. Yeah. There's a lot of active games too, though. I will say my son loves VR, virtual reality. He has mm-hmm. a virtual reality headset. He plays boxing games. He plays these rhythm games. There's one called Beat Saber that's really popular. And he will do that for two or three hours and he will be drenched in sweat and out of breath and he's totally worked out, right? And so sometimes it's finding that, like that compromise where, yes, my kid is getting exercise, but they're also doing something that they really love to do that I don't want them doing all the time, right? So yeah, that's it's, a great compromise. It's, I think setting those values, what are your values? Your values are your kid gets outside. Your values are they do something active every day. They have some face-to-face time, maybe three times a week or whatever is is doable, depending on your school circumstance and all those things, you know, what you're involved in. Yeah. And then beyond that, what else can they do, right? And yeah. And then, you know, the other aspect of that too is helping kids find other things to do, nurturing mm-hmm. their interests in a way that helps them to want to spend time doing other things. So for instance, if you have a kid who loves art, sign them up for a class, you know, go and do a pottery workshop one day or whatever it is that they get really excited about that they're interested in and and just build some of that in as you can. Some kids are really inflexible about trying new things and about just getting out into the world sometimes is very difficult for our kids who are neurodivergent. And so we have to keep sort of helping them through that. Like your kid may say, no, I don't want an art class 20 times over two years, right? And, but if you just keep saying, you know, I'm willing, I'd love to, to make this happen for you if you want to, you know, keep that door open. Eventually they'll, they'll engage with other things as well, but they can also do technology for a career, right? Like the gaming industry is There's so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities. If this is what your kid truly loves and lights their fire, help them explore how they could work in that industry as an adult. It's totally possible. That's a great place to wrap things up is just really finding what they're passionate about and then nurturing that while exploring other things too. Well, Penny, thank you so much. Learned so much. And I I know those listening who relate, or maybe they know someone, share this with someone who you think could benefit from it. And we appreciate your expertise. Give us your website, social media, so that people who want to follow along can find you. Yeah, so it's parentingadhdandautism.com. And you can get to the Behavior Revolution site from there as well, all my social media, the Beautifully Complex podcast that I host, and 
online parenting courses, coaching summits. There's so many things. We have a membership now as well. That's a great library and resource for parents. So there's a lot of good stuff out there and it's all linked up in one place to make it easy. (laughs) Super. Thanks again. Great to talk to you today. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining the Natalie Tisdall podcast. You can follow along on Instagram and at natalietisdall.com. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.